welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast. We are your hosts, Mackenzie and Micah. And today we are looking in the book Traditional Quaker Christianity at section 5A, which is talking about the call to ministry. Um, what that means for various denominations can vary quite a lot. Um, for, you know, in the book it talks about um, that the call, as talked about in like the book of Isaiah, um, involves this like really humbling feeling of inadequacy before um, and, and sort of being like, well, I, I oh, I'm not, I, I can't, I can't be the one that's gonna, um, mm-mm. and then finally like, okay, okay, yeah, fine, it's my job to, okay, I'll say the thing, which, you know, you see with like Jonah um, running away, not going to Nineveh and getting swallowed by the big fish, it's not a whale, um, and then finally being like, okay, fine, I'll do the thing and going to Nineveh, um, but then the chapter continues asking, you know, who ministers and you know, who are ministers. And um, it talks about how for early friends, at least, there was the idea that, um, you know, it's not the fact that you went to seminary that makes you qualified to, to preach, that there's an inward thing involved. And that that's, uh, it's a gift and it's... Um, God choosing who he would have speak for him. While in the uh, early Quaker movement, uh, I think there's a lot of evidence that there was a pretty broad understanding of what ministry was. Also a pretty broad understanding of what being an elder or an overseer, those term, terms were used interchangeably, uh, what that meant. Both these, both ministry and eldership or oversight were seen as very broad things that can involve a lot of different kind of activities and a lot of different kind of spiritual gifts. Um, in later Quakerism, uh, the understanding of these gifts became much, much narrower and much more prescribed and specific. The and word ossified comes to mind. Ossified, but I, I, even ossified... Um, Which means sort of turned to bone. Yeah. It's hardened and solidified. I think that's fair, um, and, and, but, but narrowed too. And so um, in, in sort of uh, what you might call classical, what I sort of think of as classical Quakerism, uh, which is uh, sort of Quakers from the quietest period, like in maybe the you know the 17 and 1800s. Um, Quakerism defined ministry uh, fairly strictly as um, uh, the 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 gifts that allowed for prophetic uh, prophetic ministry in the meeting for worship. And so ministry was primarily about, as, as understood, like as, as, as ministers who were recorded in these yearly meetings, um, ministry was understood to be about speaking profitably and meeting for worship. It was about preaching. And so um, then there were also, uh, just to mention this, because it, it was a part of, it's like a part of the matrix. You can't understand one without the other two. Um, the other two offices that, Quake, that Quakers had that they established over time. Uh, were elder and overseer. And elder was primarily about the spiritual care of the meeting for worship. Again, the meeting for worship, very specifically, spiritual care of the meeting for worship and for the ministers being those people who primarily spoke in meeting for worship. Um, the elders sort of had charge over that, that whole thing. And then the overseers were focused on sort of the life of the, life of the meeting, you know, practical concerns, pastoral care, stuff like that. 
So it was, it was more sort of hands-on and stuff that happened outside of the, outside of the meeting for worship, perhaps. Um, and nowadays, that um, the elders would be called like a ministry and worship or ministry and council committee. Yeah, depending on where you're in, at. I mean, in, in some, I, I mean, yeah. So, so like nowadays, I'm okay. I mean, like nowadays, like we've got like liberal Quakers that will be like, oh, we don't have elders and overseers anymore. Yeah, you do. You renamed them. Right. And 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 then as 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 happens, uh, different groups of Quakers have have either kept or 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 modified this stuff in a lot of different ways. Out in, uh, you know, I know that out in Northwest yearly meeting, when I've been out there, uh, they have elders, but the elders are, are, are um, not, they're almost like administrative boards. Um, huh. So it, it's sort of, the, the, the elders uh, in like Northwest yearly meeting, uh, from what I've understood, is, is sort of an administrative board that takes a lot of, takes a lot of oversight of like the affairs of either the meeting or the yearly meeting. Um and, Whereas, like my meeting has a board of trustees for the administrative thing, right? And I think it'd be I think it'd be different from trustees. I think they also have trustees, oh, but okay. but but it's a little bit different than the understanding of elders, like you know, uh, at other times and places. But um, the I think what we're focusing on right now is is ministry, and um, one of my one of my pet one of my pet peeves in Quakerism is that in a lot of places. Particularly in unprogrammed uh, Quakerism, both conservative and liberal, uh, ministry is often very narrowly defined as being speaking and meeting for worship, and that's what ministry is. Um, and I just, you know, I don't see that. I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that in church history as like ministry being limited to that. Something I really love about Quakerism, including liberal and conservative versions. Um, is this idea of um, ministry being uh, something that God can do through anybody, and that um, in, in, almost almost inevitably, if if you, if you as a Quaker uh, were to say to anyone else, "Oh yeah, I'm a minister," people would immediately assume that you were a paid uh, a, a pastor of a church, probably a paid employee of the church. Um, and that you had a very specific role, you know, that you you that you, you preached on Sundays and you led the worship service and you did these certain activities, you did pastoral care called all this different stuff that's expected sort of in the Protestant or in some cases uh, not, uh, other other groups like Catholics. Things are expected of these offices, right? And something I love about Quakerism, uh, sort of in contrast to this more narrow view of ministry, is that Quakerism hold you know traditionally holds up ministry as something that is potentially for everybody. And that it's not about, minister is not a job title. Minister is an activity uh, and, 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 and a calling of every Christian. And so that, there's this weird thing in Quakerism where on the one hand, there's this incredibly restrictive definition of ministry as being like, it's, it's the people who talk and worship. Um, and then on the other hand, and this is, I think, the truer, for, in my opinion, the truer part of the Quaker tradition, there's an understanding of ministry as being universal and that different people with different callings and gifts have different ministries. But uh, we receive our, in a certain manner of speaking, we receive our call to ministry in our baptism. That is, when we, when, we, when we become followers of Jesus, we receive our calling to ministry. See also some past episode where we discussed baptism meaning immersion and how it doesn't necessarily have to involve water. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm taking for granted that our listeners know that Quakers do not traditionally practice water baptism, but that baptism, meaning immersion in Greek, is uh, 
is also a metaphor for being uh, plunged into the Spirit and being cleansed through the Spirit and, and changed and, and turned around and made a follower of Jesus by the Spirit. So um, that's something I think is really cool about Quakerism uh, that really you see in very few other sort of established denominations is this idea that um, ministry... The Protestant Reformation pays lip service to the, to the priesthood of all believers, but Quakerism, uh, for all its faults, Quakerism really does practice it at its best. So I, I would say that I have heard the term ministry used um, in ways that don't just refer to speaking um, among Protestants in terms of talking about like music ministry or mm-hmm. whoever is playing um, playing the music for their worship service. Um, but I've also heard local Quakers um, say music ministry too when referring to like our friend John Watts. Uh-huh. Um, because, you know, John, for those of you not familiar, John um, is a singer and guitarist and he, uh, oh, he's also the guy that makes the Quaker Speak videos if you've watched those. And um, some of his songs, a lot of his songs have a Quaker theme to them. And so that gets described as his ministry. Um, I've also recently had, there's someone who is, let's just say, an elder um, in, in my meeting who has been asking me whether I feel enough support for my ministry. And she's not meaning speaking in meetings. I don't really speak in meetings all that often, maybe once or twice a year. Um, but that's been throwing me kind of for a loop because I'm thinking, like, my ministry, do I have one? Um, yeah, and I think I think um, to be fair, uh, I think the sense the the very narrow definition of ministry is probably more common in conservative Quaker circles than in liberal Quaker circles. Both of these being unprogrammed Quaker groups, um, but uh, I do I think you're right that um, that there is a growing there's a growing understanding of ministry as being um, ministry as being the work that God has called you to do, and that is not um, that's not bound. The, the ministry is something that God has called you to do that not is not bound by cultural expectation, but instead dictated by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's it's, it's it's not like uh, it, it's not like uh, I have like. I'm not independently wealthy. I need to have a job that pays me money so I can support my family. That is not necessarily ministry. Um, or anything else I do. It's not necessarily ministry that, like, you know, I, uh, nothing I do is necessarily ministry. Some things I do because that's just what I need to get done. Mm-hmm. But there's a certain type of activity um, that uh, sort of goes above and beyond the normal. You might even call it supernatural. It's things that we wouldn't think to do of our, we wouldn't think to do ourselves, and yet God has called us into it. And this is an interesting point that was raised to me recently, actually by my father, Dorland Bales, which is we in the Friends of Jesus Fellowship, we were having a discussion at our last retreat about um, about spiritual gifts. And what my father said was that he was very skeptical of of, of using spiritual gifts as a basis for for understanding what, what what we should be doing, but that he was much more interested in talking about calling. And he didn't go much deeper with that, but something what I took away from that was the idea that um, spiritual gifts, which in church circles and, and, and more particularly in Quaker circles have been talked about quite a bit in recent decades, spiritual gifts aren't 
the most important thing. Uh, what you know, what we feel gifted at uh, isn't the most important thing. What's much more important is what God has called us to. And so, for instance, I might be great at. I'll give you. I'll give you a real life example from my life. Um, I, I am an. I am. I am a naturally talented singer. If I if I had dedicated myself to it, I could have sang opera. Um, you know, I could. I could have been a professional singer. Um, I didn't do that. I. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like uh, sort of my my vocation in life, like my calling from God, was to dedicate my life to doing that. Um, and 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 so there, you can be gifted in something, and it not necessarily be the ministry that you're called to. So I think I think when as we're thinking about ministry, gifts are important, and God gives us gifts to steward. But at the end of the day, sometimes God just might call us to ministry that we're terrible at. But God uses us anyway. One other thing I would say is that, um, you know, the example I used was, you know, I have to go to work to make some money to support my family. And so that's not necessarily ministry. I do want to say, though, it is nice when your ministry can also be the thing that financially supports you. That's really great. And there's controversy about this in Quaker circles, especially conservative Quakers, but also Quakers in general, including, you might be surprised to find, even evangelical Quakers can be very skeptical of ministry that is uh, remunerated, um, mm-hmm. but in my experience, there are dangers to it. It, it is it, it can be dangerous to turn ministry into a job. In that, <clears throat> ministry should be dictated by the Holy Spirit, and it is possible that uh, I have I have seen pastors. I, have, I I won't name names, but I have seen pastors who have stayed in a pastorate far longer than they may sh- maybe should have. I think we talked about that in the episode about uh, inward states and dryness. Right. They may, they, they, you know, they, they may stay on for a decade or more longer than maybe God would have had them do because that was their profession then. And they didn't really have a lot of other work. They didn't at least feel like they had a lot of other sort of career trajectories to fall back on. And so that's a danger. So that danger is real. And Quakerism is good to flag that. But... I do want to emphasize that from 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 my perspective, it can really be a blessing. And I think I think you know many of us have experienced this. How great is it for those of who's, those of us who have experienced this? How great is it to get paid to be able to support your family for what you feel truly passionate about and what you feel called to do? That's a really great feeling. That's blessing. So I I, I think we don't want to lose that either. One quick thing about the um, with it. Being a job and uh, well, with with the with the possible dangers of it being a job is like I recall um, a, a news story about um, a someone who was a priest. It might have been Church of Canada, maybe mm. um, one of one of the uh, Anglican affiliates, I think, where the um, the pastor became an atheist, and then the church was like, well, I mean the church hierarchy was like, well, you can't be the pastor anymore if you don't believe the stuff and the congregation was like but we like her and so that you know got a little a little weird um the second thing is going back to what you said about in the early days of quakerism how they sort of had a broader view of ministry than in the classic days as you put it um so i have this book at home that's called um print culture and the early quakers and it was somebody's, like, PhD thesis or something. Um, her name's Kate Peters. And 
she writes in there about how early friends believed in writing in the spirit, that, that during meeting for worship wasn't the only time that you could be inspired, and so you could be inspired to write, um, you know, in the same way that people, you know, involved in the Bible have been, um, may have been inspired to write. Um, I know. <laughs> I know. You know, we've got a bunch of liberal Quakers listening to this. They, they, they're not. Sean the Unbeliever. Sean. Sean. This is the trouble with hanging out with Micah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so they would, they would write things up um, inspired by the spirit and then send them to printing press and get copies made. And, and, or or uh, maybe it wouldn't be printing press, maybe it would be longhand copies, but they would send copies of this written ministry around to different meetings. And I'm not sure if it was like officially while meeting for worship was still going on or if it was like, okay, now that we've shaken hands, we can read this thing. But they would actually be read publicly, like um, with gatherings of Quakers or even standing on a street corner because street preaching was definitely a thing back then. Um, And... Yeah, Quaker for those people. Um, but but that it was felt to carry the same weight as uh, ministry during meeting. It's an interesting thing because I have found in the Quaker community, and not just with my program friends, but also to some extent with with friends who, who, have, uh, who have pastors and, and, and do sort of a pastoral style, um, that there is often an attitude that real preaching is 100% unplanned and extemporaneous. And if you wrote it beforehand, it's not as real. It's more, it's, it's more of a lecture or a talk. It's not really a sermon, or it's not really ministry, local ministry. Um, and I've found that troubling, because while um, I, have, I have on many occasions spoken or delivered some other kind of message like song in meeting for worship in an, extem- in an extemporaneous fashion, um, for whatever reason, I think it's mostly training and training and culture and, 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 and the expectations of the group. Usually those messages never get beyond two or three minutes long. Um, and uh, they're very, they can be very powerful um, for me and hopefully for the people that, that hear them. But, uh, but there's something, there is something also powerful about a longer message that's more, that's more um, in-depth and has more has more detail to it, and so at a really great op- I preached sermons before occasionally at different churches, both Quaker and non. Um, but a really great opportunity for me in the last I guess couple of years is I've been preaching uh, this last year I've been preaching regularly like every month uh, at the Church of the Brethren here in town, and um, it's been a good opportunity for me to to sort of practice this this kind of prepared vocal ministry uh, where you talk about writing in the spirit. Um, I, that, that is definitely what I am attempting to do is to prepare my sermons, you know, listening to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Um, and there's sort of a, there's sort of two stages of potential inspiration because the first comes with, with my writing and editing process of the, of the written sermon. But then when I actually get up to preach it, so there are two elements here, right? There's the element of like my discernment beforehand in writing it, but then there's the discernment in the moment in the living moment with the living congregation together. Um, and I, I use my sermon as a starting point. 
but I will diverge from it as I feel led. Mm-hmm. And it, then my sermon, you know, I post my sermons online in text form, and that's the manuscript. But then I also post the recording because the recording is often significant, is always different and often significantly different uh, from what's written. Um, and I and I do think that um, while the manuscript has some value, the at the very least the the uh, the spoken version is more relevant and living to the congregation gathered at that place at that time. And so uh, I think it's I think it's interesting that uh, for me there there's sort of an interplay uh, between uh, the advanced preparation of the writing of the sermon and the actually delivering it at the time. So I, I think I think of the uh, I think of the writing the writing and the the writing in the spirit that you talked about and how they would read it um, publicly. Um, I think uh, it would feel to me to be appropriate to read it. Uh, maybe after the regular meeting for worship, not not because a prepared thing would be wrong in a in a regular meeting for worship, but because a very important thing that's going on in, in Quaker worship, and I and I, I would contend in Christian worship, any 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 Christian worship, Christian worship must be led by the Holy Spirit, and so in any Christian worship, no matter what the format is, we need to be ready to go off script, and we need to be ready to do things differently as the Lord leads in the moment, um, regardless of what we've prepared. Um, and so I think the reason, uh, what what's really powerful about me being able to write my sermon ahead of time and then to deliver it myself, not have someone read it for me, mm-hmm. but deliver it myself, is that I have the opportunity to listen again and to uh, adapt what I'm saying to what's actually happening in the moment. So it's, 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 it's really cool. Um, so two things that I'm thinking about in in regards to that are, um, one, I know, um, Ashley Wilcox, I remember her writing on her blog about, um, a time, I think she was at, it might have been an FWCC gathering, maybe, um, where she was there one year, and, um, there was a message coming to her, and she didn't say it, and so then the next time she was there, it was still nagging at her, and so she gave the message that time, she started out saying, you know, um, I got this last time and I waited. And so so technically she got this message before she actually delivered it, but she also got it during me, but it was a different meeting. Like there's there's some kind of weirdness in there. But I remember her saying that when she delivered this and because it's FWCC, there's um, translation. Um, that then the Spanish translator, I think it was, said, I received this message last time we were together, but I was unfaithful. And... She wanted to object and then went, no, no, that, that's what that is. The whole I didn't actually say it at the time. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, the second thing is that um, I think the length of the meeting for worship has an impact on the length of the messages. Um, and, you know, I've only... So I have now completed um, travels among some evangelical friends uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. And so seen the shorter um, waiting worship. And I would say that the messages there were even shorter than the two to three minutes I'm used to with um, unprogrammable Quakers. But also a year and a half ago, I went to the uh, gathering of the wider fellowship of conservative friends and the meetings worship there were an hour and a half long, not just one hour. And some of them were preceded by an hour and a half of Bible reading, which was done in an unprogrammed format where um, people would read out a message as led. And the messages there were 
definitely longer than the two to three minutes that I'm used to. They were probably more like five to ten minutes. Um, and then uh, we said in a previous episode that back when meetings for worship were several hours long, having ministry that went on for 15 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour was not ter- you know, it was not unheard of. That, that was definitely, those were definitely things that happened. That once you've been sitting in worship for like an hour or two hours, there has been time for more of the message to assemble for you to then say it. Whereas if you're stopping after an hour or in the programmed meetings, you're stopping after 15 minutes, then you may have only gotten bits and pieces so far. And if you were sitting in worship for a longer period, then that could result in a longer message. And this is a problem that I see uh, in churches in general. I think it's a problem at the Church of the Brethren where I attend is that we uh, are very bound by the clock. And we, at, at the Church of the Brethren I go to, and I'm, it, it's true for me too. I, it's, it's, not just, it's not just the group, it's also me. Um, we expect that when the clock hits noon, maybe we don't expect to get out the moment the clock hits noon, but we expect, hey, we're going to be out of here in a few minutes, right? Like, we're about done, right? It's time it's, to wrap up. It is noon. It is we we have things to do with our afternoon. Right. And, that, and this is a problem uh, because I've experienced it as a preacher. Um, that clock hits noon. And no one means for this to happen. There's no ill will here, but people start to shut down. People start to start thinking about what's next. As opposed to saying like, hey, maybe this sermon needs to go a little bit longer, and that's okay. Um, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think McKenzie's right in that uh, the way we time box things makes, enorm- makes an enormous difference. Um, I'd also like to suggest that the way we think about preparation makes an enormous difference. And I guarantee you, you know, in, in ye olden days, when meetings sometimes lasted for three, four, five, six hours, there were sermons that lasted for an hour and a half. These sermons were extemporaneous in the sense that they were delivered on the spot without notes. I guarantee you they were not unplanned. And I would say that they, I don't know exactly, I don't necessarily know that somebody was planning to speak that day, but that they might have, they almost certainly had been contemplating the themes for a long time. And I mean, if, if your meeting has a Bible study, like, then there were going to be points where you were contemplating different themes, um, at, or, you also, know, wherever you religious really just Also, in many, in many cases, um, it was different back then from how it is today in Quaker meetings. Uh, there were, there were very impressive and famous ministers who either were local to the meeting or were traveling around. And uh, they were like they didn't have to. It was possible for them to not preach. They were expected to preach and to preach for a while. Um, and so there was actually, I forget which minister this was, but there was a minister that I read about who was traveling in the ministry. And for like 10 nights in a row as he was traveling around, or like it was like several nights at least, he didn't speak at these big meetings where like hundreds or even thousands of people were coming. He didn't speak. And he was like the build minister who was coming in. And because he had the sense that people were there for entertainment. And so he didn't speak. And like, so the, the minister, the, you know, the, the, the minister did not have to speak. But it was definitely expected that they were going to speak and they were going to preach for a long time. Okay. And, and those big gatherings, those are called public meetings, by the way. Um, I, the, in Ohio, the early meeting, they're starting to have public meetings again where they um, try to get 
like, ten of the recorded ministers to all be in one place. Um, they do not get the hundreds or thousands of people showing up that might have happened in, say, you know, 1823. People got video games now. Yeah. Like, once, once, once TV came on the scene, we, these public meetings were in big trouble because people had other things to do. Right, as opposed to, what are you doing Saturday? I don't know, plowing? <laughs> and then, yeah. Anyway. Um. You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes.